Welcome to Plodcast, episode 29. Thanks for hanging in there. Um, man, if you stay with me one more, we're going to make it together to 30. That's a, that's a lot of uh, Plodcast. Thanks, thanks, for, um, thanks for joining us on this journey. So I, I want, in this uh, first segment, I want to talk a little bit about intelligent design. Uh, and I want to talk about a particular glitch in some argumentation by some advocates of intelligent design. All right, so uh, first, it, it goes without saying that every creationist believes in intelligent design, but some, because that's the, that's the whole point, um, but some intelligent design advocates are, want to say that they are not arguing for the existence of God, but simply a, um, they're just arguing that this particular artifact uh, was exhibits design in the way it's put together. Somebody designed it. And they're not saying whether, uh, whether th- that somebody was God or not. They're, they're being coy on that point. And some of this may be just simply uh, a legal tactic, legal maneuvering to, to I guess, make it, make it possible for intelligent design to make inroads in public schools or government schools. But I think there's a fatal flaw in that, in that argumentation. So one evolutionary scientist uh, said, yes, uh, these intelligent design people are not saying that it's necessarily God who did all this intelligent designing, just someone with the same skill set as God. And that, uh, that's an obvious, uh, that's an obvious objection. And consequently, intelligent design is, um, uh, someone else taunted it as simply being creationism in a cheap tuxedo. Um, so you've got people, uh, the intelligent design advocates are, are sometimes um, considered to be a cut above the fundamentalist creationists. So the fundamentalist creationists are people who take the Bible seriously, who bring the Bible into their argumentation, who argue for young earth creation, uh, who argue for a global flood, and uh, see, that's, that's a disreputable creationism. And then intelligent design is oftentimes um, wants to appear a little bit uh, more sophisticated than that raw fundamentalism. And so they, they'll say, no, all we're saying is that this artifact, this creature, this organism, this tree or whatever exhibits design. And we can, we can identify design everywhere else. Um, so why can't we identify it here? To illustrate, uh, we have um, we have these great um, receivers pointed to deep space, uh, looking for uh, signs of intelligent life. We've got, and but how, how can we? What, what are the signs of intelligent life? Well, we can we do that, and and we. Uh, it's, it's not an irrational enterprise because we can tell the difference between a, a message, an intelligent message that we don't understand the language of, but it's, just, it's very clearly separated from background noise. So uh, if you were in a foreign country and you were uh, turning the dial through the radio, you could tell the difference between um, the static of the radio 
and when you came, landed on a station, even if you didn't understand any of the words that were being spoken on the radio station, you would be able to tell instantly that this is a radio station versus the background noise. So, um, we, but we're only doing that. We're only pointing these um, uh, receivers at outer space, at deep space, because we can tell the difference between that which exhibits intelligence and that which is random. All right, so um, what the intelligent design advocates are doing, and, and to this extent, I applaud their work. I think they're doing marvelous work. I, you know, may their tribe increase. It's, this is all really uh, good. But I, I, want to, I, I do think that they ought to accept um, the justice of the taunt that you guys are just creationists. I think they should say, yes, we are creationists. I think, that, yes, uh, we are talking about um, the God who made the world, and we're saying this intelligence that's exhibited uh, here in this organism um, is the intelligence is that of a divine being. Now, why do I think that? Well, here, here's how here's how it works. Suppose. Um, Suppose the, you just take the, uh, the person arguing for um, the design exhibited by uh, an amoeba or the design exhibited in an oak tree or the design exhibited in the clotting agent in, in uh, a blood, blood system. And you said, okay, who? what you're saying, ID guy, is that this did not happen by itself. Somebody assembled this. Somebody put it together. And he would say, yes, but I'm not saying that that somebody is God. All right. I would say, now, if that somebody is not God, let's, you're saying it could be God, it could be, some, it could be um, uh, a super, super alien. Let's say a super alien put this together. And all I'm saying is that this exhibits design. So I would say, if you, if you allow for the possibility of the existence of a super alien who is able to build an oak tree, or who is able to build um, an amoeba, or who is able to um, fashion a butterfly, uh, so that super alien does all this stuff and he is not God right? Right I would say now let's turn our attention from the butterfly he made to the one who made the butterfly and looking at the super alien who made the butterfly who is not God does he exhibit design? Does he exhibit design? Now if you if you say no then your whole case falls to the ground because that which water doesn't rise above its own level and so the super alien that's able to make a butterfly has to exhibit more design than the butterfly itself. So um, if the person says no, this super complex being who is able to do these sophisticated uh, feats of engineering, he does not exhibit design, then you're saying I no longer recognize design when I see it and someone who is uh, someone who is arguing for intelligence design can't stop 
seeing design when it appears. So uh, no advocate of intelligent design would say no when I ask, does this super alien exhibit design? He would say, yes, he exhibits design. And I would say, all right, that means you either must have God who made the super alien butterfly making entity, or you need an infinite regress. And I would argue that an infinite regress is absurd. Um, so if I have the butterfly, then the butterfly making super alien, and then the super alien making super, super alien, and then the uh, super, super alien making super, super, super alien. If I, if I go, go back into an infinite regress that way, then I'm just, I've just tumbled into absurdity. And the only way I can get out of that absurdity is by frankly and honestly acknowledging that the intelligent design movement is principally, essentially, at its heart, theistic. You, there has to be a God. Um, there is no way to, uh, there's, there's no way to avoid um, acknowledging a transcendent God over the whole process. And attempts to do so um, are, are simply of avoiding the ultimate question. Podcast number 29, book review time. I want to talk this uh, segment about uh, The God of Affluence by Schneider. Uh, I read this book maybe 10 years ago and, um, and really uh, was struck by it. Uh, there are many Christians who are muddled on the, on the question of wealth. They, they don't know what wealth um, is exactly. They don't uh, now uh, wealth. Um, if we if we read our Bibles carefully, we understand that in this fallen world, in this fallen world, uh, wealth does present temptations. But that's simply saying uh, we have to then say, and every aspect of being alive in this world is a form of wealth. So when um, if uh, if someone says, well, I don't think I should uh, want money, or I, I shouldn't want resources, or I shouldn't want to be comfortable, or I shouldn't want to have clothes that keep me warm, or whatever, um, because th they all present a temptation. It's true that they do. It, it's true that they do present a temptation. But what Schneider does in this book is he shows, uh, the, the title of the book um, uh, reveals what he's after. The good of affluence is, he's saying, it's better to be affluent. Everything else being equal, it's better to be affluent than poor. Everything else being equal, it's better to be affluent than poor. Uh, now, a lot rides on that everything else being equal. Um, we, we see, um, for example, in the book of Proverbs, it's, we, we see a common form of Hebraic reasoning. It's better to be poor and have a good reputation than to be rich and be a skunk, right? Better a poor, honest man than a rich skunk, okay? But that kind of reasoning only gets us so far um, because I've actually got, with, with two variables, I've, I've actually got four 
possibilities. I could be a uh, rich skunk. I could be a rich, honest man. I could be a poor skunk, or I could be a poor, honest man. Now, Proverbs picks two of those and says it's better to be a poor, honest man than a rich skunk. That's true. But it's also better to be wealthy and honest than wealthy and poor. Um, This is simply another way of saying that if you're standing out in the yard, cold, shivering, and in the rain, you know that it's time to come in. Paul says, I've learned to be content in whatever situation I'm in, whether well-fed or hungry. Um, But it's better to be well-fed and hungry. It's better to be um, hungry and trusting the Lord than well-fed and not trusting the Lord. But if you're hungry and you're trusting the Lord, one of the things you're trusting him for is food. So um, good health, having enough to eat, having shelter, having uh, these basic things that we have um, can, can be contented with, uh, they are good things in themselves. They are good things in themselves. And what Snyder does is he argues enthusiastically and vigorously and, and to my mind, uh, compellingly for the essential goodness of good things. Now, he grants that good things can be abused. That, that's what it means to live in a fallen world. That's what it means to live in a sinful world. Good things can be abused. We can receive good things and be ungrateful. We can receive good things and become idolaters. That, that's all very true. But the good things are the good things. And uh, there is a very strong Deuteronomic ethic that is pervasive in Schneider's book. Um, in Deuteronomy 8, we're, we're, we are told that um, the temptation of the Jews was to, um, you know, uh, inherit all these houses they didn't, they, they didn't build and the wells they didn't dig and, and so on. And then to say to themselves, my wisdom has gotten me these things. But the problem there is, is the ingratitude and the conceit. The problem is not the house, the well, the money. Uh, those things are good things in and of themselves. So uh, what we have to learn how to do is, as, as it says in First Timothy 6, that uh, uh, Paul tells Timothy to instruct those who are rich in this present world not to set their hope on riches, which are so easily destroyed, but to be generous and willing to share. And he also says in the same context that God gives us these things richly to enjoy. God, we, we are to thank God for the food because we like having it. We are to thank God for the paycheck because we like having it. We're to thank God for the roof over, over our heads because we like having it, and so on. So, the good of affluence, highly recommended. So, Hamartiology, podcast episode 29, here we go. The word uh, translated as filthiness in the Bible, uh, this is connected, there's a, it's a connected by root uh, to the uh, words we addressed in the last, in the previous two uh, podcasts, but the word for filthiness is found one time in the New Testament, and that one time is in Revelation 17, 4. Um, the word is akathartes and is applied to the great whore of Babylon. 
She, in her turn, is an image of unbelieving Israel, the Jerusalem below. She had in her hand a golden cup that was full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication, Akathartes. In line with the prophetic imagery of the Old Testament, idolatry and false worship is described under the metaphor of sexual uncleanness, in striking contrast to the New Jerusalem coming down out of heaven for her husband, a spotless bride. The New Jerusalem is gloriously arrayed in white. Uh, she is virginal. Uh, the Old Jerusalem, uh, the Jerusalem where the Lord was killed or executed, was full of um, sensual debauchery, um, fornication, filthiness. God in the time of the sickness, God in the doctor spent a too. pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.